had a great opportunity in the last few months to sit down with several of our, my friends who I've known over the years who honestly hold different positions than I do on particular political concepts and different things like that. And as I was having conversations with them, we invariably, my wife and I, get around to the same conversation and same question. This particular uh, friend was challenging me on what the church does. You know, they didn't see the church making a difference and shaping the world and doing these kinds of things. And while I understood that we were doing a lot of the things that they were objecting to, I, however, knew that uh, there was a question I had for them. And I, I asked him, I said, listen, okay, this is what you're saying we need to do. What are you doing about it? Now, I had known he'd posted all kinds of things out there on the internet and was very vocal about what things needed to change and how he stood. And he was virtue signaling in the right directions. But when he answered the question and said, I don't do really much of anything, it suddenly made me realize that we as the church could possibly be viewed in the same way. We love to promote and talk about things and push things out there, but quite honest, when we talk about loving Christ and living for Christ and sharing Christ, we can get stuck in just the loving Christ and never showing or doing the things of Christ. And that's what I want to be talking about. See, James warns us about this kind of faith. Right out of the chute here, I just want to tell us, Olive Branch, if we're going to really make him known, make Christ known in the opportunity we have, we need to hear what James has to say. In fact, James, uh, the brother of Jesus, writes the letter uh, to the church. He says, someone's going to say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, he challenges us, and I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, he says, you can't just virtue signal with words. You can't just say you love Christ and not actually have the love of Christ living through you, coming through you. And as we discuss our mission statement at Olive Branch, I want to challenge us to that fact. That last week, I was very clear. I wanted, I wanted us to know that we have this idea of the greatest change in Corona, the greatest change in our church is going to happen when we center ourselves on Christ. That's centering ourselves, constantly centering ourselves like God, shaping us and changing us like the blows of a hammer to the metal on the anvil. He's heated us up through 2020. Now we're ready to live it out. But let's make sure we live it out. Let's not just love Christ. Let's move on to living for Christ. That's why our mission statement goes beyond that. It states this, that we exist to love, live, and share Christ, to make Him known wherever we go. It takes all three, right? We're going to love Him. We looked at that last week, but now we're going to talk about living for Christ. We're going to talk about engaging and allowing the life of Christ to come out of us because we live for those we love. Isn't that true? I mean, I love my family. I love my kids, and I go to work, and I do the things that I do because I love them. Hey, I love the congregation and I do the things that I do because I, I love you guys, but I live for Christ because I love Christ. And that's the idea. We are to live for Christ to make him known. It's going to have to come through us completely in this way so he's known in this world. And that living for him comes from that love we talked about last week. Now, this is an abstract idea. How do we live for Christ, right? Well, I'm going to give you two categories and then we'll get really practical. But the first way that I want to challenge us to live for Christ is really to live for Christ, and this can get a bit confusing, but I want to say it this way, by loving the church. 
We want to live for Christ by loving the disciples, loving one another. This is the great commandments that Jesus gave. We call it the, 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 the platinum law in a sense. There, there's the golden rule. This is the one that transcends all others for us as Christians. Yes, we love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the way that's going to show up is first and foremost by obeying what Jesus has commanded us to, and that is to love one another. Check this out. In, uh, in John chapter 15, Jesus lays this commandment out. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is going to be a sacrificial love. We've put it this way. We need to be unfair to ourselves in order to care for each other. That means this kind of love is important. In fact, Jesus, when he first gives it earlier, says, this is how they're going to know you're my disciples, by your love for one another, not for your love for the world. And so this is critical. When we start talking about a love for God, for Christ, it's going to come out in our living for Christ by loving each other. Now it's not just a vertical love of God, it's His love coming through us as we live it out amongst one another. And this means it comes before our love for the world. Now, some people are struggling with that. Some people are like, no, 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 we're supposed to love all these other people. It's the second great commandment. Yes, but we need to love one another first. Christ calls us to this. In fact, in Galatians, we see it stated this way. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, right? And especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's where we start, especially to those of the household of faith. We want to love one another first. That means as we start to consider how we're going to live for Christ, I want to point us first into the church. Point us first into how we actually practically work out our love for God towards one another in the church. And it starts with this. I want you to love your church. I want you to love your brothers and sisters here at Olive Ranch by using your gifts. Use your gifts. It's a perfect opportunity to engage in that way. And so as we use our gifts, I want you first to note you are gifted. The Holy Spirit has given you a gift. He has given you something practical and powerful in your life to care for others. We're actually going to dive into this in our next series called Gift Ed, and we're going to go through the spiritual gifts and challenge us to live those out. But I want you to remember, all of you have a gift that is used for the church. Let's look at this. Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it says, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And this is the point I want to make. That common good means for the benefit of others. Guys, God has gifted you to benefit the church to each other because we're under the same Lord, the same God. As we love the church first, we have these gifts that we can use in ministry to one another. I want you guys to know your gifts. I want you guys to engage with your gifts and to use those gifts by serving each other. You say, well, I don't know. How do I, how do I find those out? Again, in our next series, we'll have a, a gifts test that'll help you begin to do something like that. But to be quite honest, the gifts are found when you just obey and you start serving, and you start caring for people, you start ministering. And when you just start there, you'll find out, hey, I'm good at this or I'm bad at this. And then you can meet an actual need in the church as we fill a ministry. And then you move into like, oh, wow, I see what my gifts are. And those gifts will flourish 
in that area. Hey, there's a better way for me to help you out, and that is jump into our Live Christ Keystone. Our Live Christ Keystone is one of the powerful opportunities for you to understand how to put what we're talking about today into action. I hope you figure out your shape, your spiritual shape, so that you're engaged in the ministry, your passions. And there's opportunities for in-person and uh, happening on March 14th is a great opportunity. And so if you want to jump in to the Live Keystone, where we really walk you through this stuff, it's found uh, there on Live at the number 951-382-5111. Now, as we continue forward, I want to remind you not only to use your gifts, but to also realize that God's given you something else. He gives you treasures. He gives you time. He gives you finances. And we want to love the church by using our treasures for one another. And I get it. This is a, this is a tough issue for some people. You're like, wait a minute. But God is clear. He says, hey, guys, I have an issue. This money is a tool for you. And Christ talks about this constantly. And we're to use that, that tool of money for the kingdom of God. And so we see Jesus reference at the first one of the first times in Matthew. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Hey, that's the place that moth and rust destroy. Thieves can break in and steal it. So hey, it's, it's going to go away one day. You're not even going to take it with you when you die. But lay up treasures in heaven where moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a discipleship with your money. If you're going to love Christ, if you're going to be devoted to Him, He's saying there's a way to live with your money then in this world. And that is to store up treasures in the eternal heavens by reaching people for Christ, by doing good with your money, not by having the comforts of life all the time. Now, there's a place for that, but He really wants to tell you where's your heart? Where is your heart? How do you, how does your giving, where's your money going? Because that will show where your heart is. And if we love Christ, our money is going to follow our love for Christ as we live for Christ with this tool. And that's critical because our finances are something that's actually going to enable the church to care for each other. In 1 John, we saw this when we were going through it. He, he challenges the church. He says, guys, how can you say you love God and have people who come in and are not able to actually find need? He says, if anyone has the world's goods, that's money, and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Again, don't be a virtue signaler with your money. Use it to care for those in the church. And all these things come together as we give. We can give in benevolence and that goes to aid people. We can give in our time that goes in service. But when it comes to our finances, we give primarily at various levels. Some of you are at the beginning of this. You're just starting off in your spiritual life and you're like giving money to the kingdom of God. Well, we use a little thing called this ladder. It's a spiritual growth tool to help you kind of know what the next step is. And I want to show you this ladder real quick. And it starts here. It says, Maybe you're here. You've never given before. Just start for the first time. You say, hey, I'm going to give to Olive Branch once. And awesome. You begin that way. But some of you, it's time to step into being consistent. And that's what we call occasional, you know, occasional giving. You're going to give here. You're going to give there. Maybe drop in a little bit. Maybe text in give. And you're like, okay, I'll give a little bit here because that was a good sermon. Or I like the worship and I want that again. You know, I understand. That's kind of how it works. But as Christians, we want to get to intentional. 
And some of you are beginning to do this intentionally. Maybe you're giving constantly to the church, but it's less than what we would call the tithe at 10%. And we can get into all that debate, but that's between you and God. Start somewhere. I believe a percentage is a great way to start because it enables you, no matter where your income changes, you can always give a percentage. And right now, you may not be able to give 10%. Maybe it's only 2 Maybe it's 5%. The vast majority of our church, to be quite honest, from the records we've seen and stuff, gives under $1,000 a year. And that's, um, that is at that occasional level. We, were, we want to call people to, hey, consider what would happen if we used the tool of our finances towards the outreach into the city, putting ourselves centered under Christ so that even our money becomes one of those things that's shaping the tool to make him known. And so maybe you've moved up to percentage giving and you're like, yes, I'm at 10%. We have people who have challenged themselves to give 1% more every year in their life. And God has met them and blessed them and multiplied it. And they've gone to this point of sacrificial where they're making things move and change because they just understand this finances I get, I've been given are amazing. God is a generous God. I want to be a generous God. I want to be a generous guy, a generous gal, whatever. And I want to be like my Lord who gave his life. So I'm going to give as much as I can. And that's the challenge in our lives. And be honest, the challenge is all of us. Challenges me. That, that, uh, it's hard to let it go. But what I'm telling God is, God, you gave it to me and I trust you with it. And that kind of transformation just reveals my love for Christ. Talk to anyone in the world about money and you'll find out they think it's odd that you'd give to a church and they think it's awful churches want money, all that kind of stuff. But when you start to realize that you do it because you love Christ and that, you don't, and, and that you're doing it to care for other people and to minister to the church, they take a step back and go, that's pretty cool. I mean, who gives to the poor like this? Who gives to each other like this? And that is the case. We want to use our finances to love the church. Now, we want to love the church one other way. We want to love the church by using your words. Your words are powerful. In fact, several times throughout Scripture, we're told to, to pray for one another. We're, we're told to use our words in many ways. Um, Paul puts it this way to the Thessalonians. Therefore, encourage one another. Build up one another just as you are doing. You ever thought that after service today, uh, you could text in and just say thank you to the moderators online. That you could have an opportunity to send an email into the church and, and tell those who are putting this together, Jacob who edits it and the other guys who do pieces, just, hey, thanks for serving and putting your time into this. This helps my family know Christ. This helps my family grow in Christ. And this is an awesome thing. What if when you come back to church, you know that that, um, that children's ministry person is watching your, your stinky kid that you're having a hard time with at home all the time, right? You're able to go to them and just go, you know what, here's a handwritten letter. I wanna use my words to thank you. These are powerful tools. Your words are able to lift and they're able to crush. And so as we look at our words, as we understand that we can use our words, I want you to use them to encourage, maybe to promote. You know, one of the great things that I've seen happen is people get online and they promote the church. They celebrate what Olive Branch has done or they celebrate what, what has happened in their small group. And they tell that story. Do you know what happens? That doesn't just make the pastor proud. It makes everybody who goes to our church excited to be part of our church. That's our church, we say. Why not use our words in promotion? Why not use our words online for positive, transformative encouragement? Because That'll lead somebody to check it out. That may lead somebody to actually begin to explore who Jesus is. Our words are powerful 
to encourage, to inform, to, to press into growth. That's called exhortation. Hey, I want to challenge you today. Move forward. I want to challenge you today. I want to pray over you that God would use you. Hey, maybe you should jump into this ministry and join me. Maybe you should check out a church. These are powerful ways to use words to love the church. In fact, one of the best things I want to encourage you to do is start telling your stories Start sending them in. Let the staff know what God's doing. Let your small group know what God's doing. Write them down. They don't have to be great and perfect in grammar. Just let us know. Email it in because here's what happens. When somebody comes up and shares a story, man, it encourages the staff. It encourages the volunteer leaders. A lady came up to me last Sunday, and she, um, she ran up to me. She was so excited because she wanted to tell me about her small group. She'd had a stroke, and that um, her small group showed up to her in the hospital, gave her, brought her food, kept her going. They have been the primary care, and she bragged and bragged and bragged. And man, my chest felt huge because that is the care that we bring one another as we love each other in the church. Guys, that's the power of your small group. That's the power of your words. That's the power of your finances to transform a life that could have gone to the brink they were there to lift her up. That is how care works at Olive Branch, and it starts with our words. And I want to give you one more way. I want to give you another final way that I believe you will help make a great change in Corona and a great change in our church as we live for Christ, as we keep ourselves centered there on that anvil and Christ using it. And that is to love your church by continually, personally growing in your faith. You say, what? Yeah, your personal growth transforms the corporate church because you're part of that corporate church. And as you grow spiritually, you're going to bring other people up and they're going to grow spiritually. And suddenly we get stronger. Notice how Paul says it in Ephesians. He goes on to say in Ephesians chapter four, rather speaking the truth and love. So being honest with each other, not just affirmation all the time, but truth and love, both affirmation and exhortation were to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, so this is individuals, now the whole body joined and held together by every joint, each individual, with it, which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In other words, you, by staying faithful, is a huge strength to the church. And you know this. Stop and think about it. You've known someone who's had a moral failure. It doesn't have to be a leader. It can be just a small group friend. It can be somebody that's in your accountability, and it can devastate you. It can tear apart relationships. When churches have people who get divorces, when people have situations that are tearing families apart, when jobs are being destroyed, these kinds of things, the church has to refocus its efforts to help lift those people up. And, and there's a moment where the mission of reaching out has to pause so that you're well. But if we keep ourselves growing spiritually in our marriages, spiritually in our parenting, spiritually with our finances, spiritually in our workplaces, we're growing spiritually. Man, we lift the church. It becomes a strong, growing body. So please don't think just because I'm saying live for Christ doesn't mean continue to love Christ. We need to continue to grow in our love for Christ and our deepening of Christ while we live for Christ. It goes together. We need to love, live, and share, stay centered. And when we stay centered and we receive those transforming changes by God, we stay centered on Him constantly, man, Corona will change. And so will our church. You say, well, how does Corona change? Because the second way 
that you and I get to live out Christ is, is that we live for Christ by loving our neighbors, right? We live for Christ by loving those right around us. Jesus said the second great commandment is this. He, he's told us to love Lord your God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now we need to do this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment in the Old Testament greater than these. Love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus says. Well, hey, there you go. You want to live out Jesus? Did not Jesus love his disciples and then love all those who are near him? All those who are connecting with him? And so loving our neighbors is critical. And again, we could be like, well, wait a minute. Who's my neighbor? Great question. That was the question asked of Jesus by one of the Pharisees when he said this. And Jesus goes into the story of what we know as the Good Samaritan. He talks about the fact that Jerusalem is high up on a hill and a man who went down, we're not quite sure who he was, but he had enough stuff that he's traveling to Jericho through a desert road that is very dangerous with lots of thieves. Now the thieves confront him. They beat him up and they leave him dying on the side of the road, taking his stuff, stripping him down, and off they go off into the wilderness. In the meantime, up travels this priest. And, and you got to know, the priests like the doctors of those days. They would examine your skin. They would do these kind of things, pronounce you clean, healthy, tell you what to do. And they see him, he sees a man on the side of the road, and he chooses, because he's busy, to walk around him and keep on going. Next comes a Levite, another man who is considered a spiritual giant. He does the same exact thing. It is finally the third man. I hated Samaritan, and they couldn't stand Samaritans. They thought they were lower than dogs, okay? They used the word Samaritan as an insult. And this man, as a Samaritan, comes up, finds him, takes him, puts him on his donkey, takes him to a nearby inn, cleans his wounds, pays for his night's visit, says, whatever else is going to take, I'm going to pay for it. You keep this guy well. And Jesus tells this parable with all of this detail and how this man cares for him. And he ends it with this question. He asks him, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And as Pharisee answered, the one who showed him mercy, couldn't even say a Samaritan. And Jesus said to him, you go, do likewise. Here's our thing. We are called to love our neighbors. We are called to engage with them, to help meet their needs, to go and do likewise. And maybe your neighbor is your coworker right now. Maybe your neighbor is literally your neighbors, the people who live right around you in your apartment building, right around you right now who are sealed away in their homes too, isolating and trying to stay safe. Maybe your neighbor is somebody that you come by on frequency when you go to the grocery store and you take the same line. Maybe your neighbor is a family member that you see online or a friend online. There are lots of ways to understand a neighbor, but I wanna ask you this simple question as we understand loving our neighbors. If you moved out, of your neighborhood, or if Olive Branch left our area, would our neighbors miss us? Would they have even known you were there? Because a love of neighbor means that we're going to be known by our neighbors and we're going to engage in our neighbors. In fact, to help you kind of understand how to go move towards loving your neighbors, let's start here. Love your neighbors by having intentional relationships. Please love your neighbors by taking the accidental relationship and turning it into an intentional one. The Good Samaritan sees an accidental relationship, a man dying on the side of the road, and he goes, I need to help this man. He turns it intentional, puts him on his donkey, cares about this guy, keeps up with this guy. Who knows if this had been a true story, if those people would have been friends for the rest of their lives? We don't know. 
But here is the case. We need to take all our accidental relationships and turn them into intentional ones. Every relationship begins as an accident. It may be an accident you had that particular person in the, behind the counter at first, but you became intentional and you got to know them. It may be an accident you're working with the people you're working with at your job, but you're intentional to get to know them. It's an accident you live on the same street with the people you do, but you got to be intentional to get to know them. Hey, it's an accident you were born in the family you're born in, but you need to be intentional in having relationships with them. And I want to encourage you to be intentional, to take the time to connect, take the time to get to know, take the time to stop and really engage with your neighbors. Now, that means it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time. It's going to take a little bit of sacrifice. And so let me give you one other way. Now that you're going to be intentional, okay, be hospitable. Be hospitable. Open up your life. That's what hospitality means. It's opening the door, welcoming people in. Hospitality was something the church was known for. We would use our finances, use our things to care for people, to be hospitable, to say, come into my life, come see who I am, come check out what's going on. And I want you to be able to do the same thing. This man opened up his life. This Samaritan said, I'm going to open up my donkey. I'm going to open up my money. I'm going to open up my life to you. He was hospitable beyond hospitality. Jesus was hospitable to us. He opens up heaven, pays the cost that we could come in. This is the wonder of what we get to be for everyone else. Maybe it's you open up your home. Maybe it's that you open up your driveway and you hang out with a fire pit and you just invite everybody to come over and social distance for a while just to say hi. Maybe it's the opportunity for you to go to lunch and pay for your friend and connect with them for a little bit. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to, to just connect with that person across the counter and just say, hey, I just had a note for you. I wanted to give that to you. Use your words and say, I just really am encouraged with how you treat people. I've watched it. just want to give this to you. Who, who knows what you can do just to be hospitable? But the power of hospitality to change lives is seen primarily over and over and over again in, in one place. It's called Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery literally uses hospitality. And it's on Friday at 7 to see people transformed. It, we open up our church, say, come on in if you have an addiction, a struggle, something, and come sit and be healed. Come have a hospitable place where you're welcomed, no matter what you struggle in. This is so critical because the church is to be hospitable. We want to welcome everyone in. That's why an invitation, a, a, a handshake, you guys engaging with the guests when they come is so critical. You saying hi to people online who are new, you guys inviting people to the church through the internet and being careful and kind and hospitable of you with your life online is always critical. Hospitality is a key piece to how we love our neighbors. Another way to love your neighbor is through just meeting a need. And I think this is pretty obvious. When Jesus actually sent out his disciples to proclaim the gospel, he also told them, hey, I have something for you to do. He said to them this. He said, heal the sick. That's a pretty big need. Raise the dead. Sweet. Cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. You received without paying. Give without pay. In other words, he's saying, go serve people. Go use your gifts. Meet a need. The Good Samaritan met the need of this man. As he met need after need after need, he, he continued to show that need. And maybe it's time for you to do the same. You have an intentional relationship with a coworker, and you find out they're going through a divorce, invite them to the counseling at the church. Pay for it. Do whatever you need to do. Um, invite them into our opportunities. In fact, there are all, most of our ministries, if not every single one, is designed so that you can help meet a need of a neighbor. 
not just the need of the church. Announcements aren't a boring thing. The pre-roll, go back to it every week. Watch what we talk about because it is another opportunity as we do events and as we do things that meet needs with counseling to invite somebody to meet a need. Know the services the church provides that you guys provide through your gifts because we can use those to meet needs of our friends. Uh, There are people in our church who have met needs for their neighbors intentionally. It's been pretty amazing. Um, One man actually knew his neighbor's door was broken and a person in our church went to that person's home, sacrificed his time, fixed the door, paid for the parts because this woman had gone through a divorce and was struggling. That is the kind of simple, basic things that we can do to meet needs. But you have to have an intentional relationship. You need to know your neighbor. You need to know that coworker before you can even begin to step in to meeting needs. And maybe it's giving into that benevolence so we meet needs. Maybe it's engaging in some of our other events that we do through the church and through your small group like Care Portal where we meet needs. We actually literally reach out and bring goods to people who are in need in our neighborhood. James Project reaches out to meet a need of people's lawns. Go be a part of these things. Engage with them. See what we're able to do is meet needs. But finally, there's one other way. Love your neighbor by making good things. Say, what? Yes, your producing of goods is a powerful and wonderful thing. Paul had a primary strategy in evangelism, and he went out as a tent maker. Notice in the book of Acts, it tells us that's exactly what he did and also what Priscilla and Aquila did. It says, Paul found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers. Paul would tent make. He would make tents. He would make goods to sell them, to engage with people. Guys, you can make good things and meet the interests of people. You make cookies. You can bring people. You can make wood things. You can go over and, and make a good at your work. That's what your vocation's about. I want to remind you that your job is a place where you make good. And so you enable people to seek goods and services. At the same time, Olive Branch, as a church, we do this. We make dramas. We have videos that we produce. We try to make great sermons. We try to give good worship. We try to give goods to this culture, like our, like our, our fall festival or our, our, winter cel- our, our Christmas celebrations. These things are designed so that you have something to invite friends to that hopefully would meet an interest or two. Maybe you know of an interest in a ministry that would help move forward. And we can begin to see that grow. Now, again, If you want to develop these things, we cover a lot of this also in our Live Christ Keystone. And I want you guys to understand your vocation and how it fits in living for Christ because we don't just want to use words, I love Jesus. We want to live it out. We want it to come through. So again, I want to encourage you, let us know. Text in Live to uh, that number and you'll be able to engage in the upcoming thing. But the bottom line in all this, we've talked about loving Christ. Now we've talked about living for Christ. When it comes to loving your neighbor, When it comes to these things, well, loving the church, just begin to serve, get engaged. Loving your neighbor, let's start and center ourselves by starting simple. Start simple. All you got to do is begin to serve. There are opportunities to serve in the church all over the place, especially now where many people have moved out. We have lots of opportunities that have opened up in children's ministry, tech ministry, you name it. Guys, you have even opportunities online to serve at the church. As you plan to rejoin and connect with the congregation, consider how to use your gifts, how to use your finances in that way. Start simple. If you've never given, just start. 
If you've never been serving, start. You'll discover your gifts and you'll begin to see. You've never used your words, start simple. How do you start simple with your neighbors? Let me give you a simple way that we've done it. My wife and I stepped out of our house the other day. We're both introverts. Um, regardless of the fact that I can stand in front of a stage and talk to people, I freak out when I have a um, upfront personal conversation. I can't remember a name, especially if I'm going to knock on a door and I feel like I'm invading someone's space. It's the eyebrows. They freak people out. But anyway, the point is that when we went, we had to stop and realize we were freaking out. We went, we stopped, we prayed. And then I decided, hey, I'm going to write a script. Now, what we were going to do is we were going to go to each house in our neighborhood and we were going to pray for people at the front door. So I wrote a simple script. That simple script is saying, hi, I'm your neighbor. Sorry we haven't met before. We know 2020 has been hard. Uh, we just want to know, is there anything that we can pray for you about? That gave me the courage to engage because I knew what I was going to say. Some of you, you're great on the spot. You could do it in a minute, but why not just start there? Start by taking those accidental relationships around you and be intentional. Go to that neighbor nearest you, that next door neighbor down the street, wherever you're at, that apartment above and around you, and just go, hi, I'm so-and-so. Hey, it's been a rough year. I wanted to know if I could help you and pray for you anyway. And what's awesome is our James Project team through Stephen Oldham has done this. And door after door after door is opened. And he has yet to have seen someone be angry. He gives them a little gift. He says, we want to pray for you. We're caring for your neighbor. Invariably, people will start crying because they haven't seen someone. They feel lonely, ask, can I touch you? And they're like, yes, please. And that physical touch of that prayer, that care opens the doors. Yeah, you're gonna meet a rude person here and there, but I wanna encourage you to go do that. And you know what? You can even take one of these booklets with you in your back pocket or keep it at home. And so you can remember your neighbor's names and their prayer requests. You can lift them up and keep them before God. You can then begin to continue to engage with your neighbors through the year. You're like, this is critical because you can't put that much information in your head all the time. And as that grows, you become intentional. You'll know the needs you can meet. You can know how to help people out. You know how the church can serve your neighborhood. But it starts with this simple thing. You want to see Corona change? You want to see our church change? It is keeping ourselves centered on Christ in the simplest things. Like just going to your next door neighbor saying, hey, can I pray for you? Hey, can I pray for you? That will open doors and transform things. And then seeking a moment to meet a need, seeking a moment to give a gift, seeking a moment to give them Christ. And you may be watching this going, ah, it seems awfully selfish as a bunch of Christians, isn't it? If you guys be running around making, meeting your neighbors just to make them Christians and tell them about Jesus, I say, well, let me just pause you for a second with this thought. If my love for Christ... My desire that other people would love the Christ who saved me from hell leads me to want to know my neighbors, meet their needs, and even potentially give them things that they need, uh, to pray with them, to, to engage and point them in directions, maybe even to make good things for this world. Why are you motivated to do those things? I'm motivated because I love my God who loved people. We're motivated because we love Christ and therefore we live for Him. I don't know of a greater motivation because otherwise it's all about me showing that I'm good. It's all about me trying to show off that I do the good things. But here's the thing. We want to do this because we want to make Him known. We want to make Christ known. And it's not difficult. So what's your plan, Olive Branch? What's the simple plan you're going to do as you begin to Live Christ by loving the church. Live Christ by loving your neighbors. 
It doesn't have to be complicated. But if we just keep showing up, we just keep doing it, one day, one week at a time, suddenly great impact will occur. I believe that. I know it'll happen. And as you show up for your, for your time with God, as you show up to serve and live for Him in your neighborhoods and on all those accidental relationships, you're going to see that God will make great changes. I want to encourage you this year, set a plan and just simply keep showing up to it. Yeah, you'll fall off track. Get back up and keep going. Watch what God does. Let me pray. Father, I ask that you'd indeed just bless us to continue to live for you. That, Jesus, we would live out the love that you have for your disciples, and we would have that come through us. Show us what we need to do. That we would love our neighbors. Show us how we can do this. God, that it would be something that we're centering our lives around because we want you to shape us. We love you. Grow us deeply, but we want to live for you. And in that, you will make the changes in Corona. You'll make the changes in our church. We trust you because we're here to center our hearts on you so that you would be known. Thank you for what you've given us. Challenge us and show us where to go. In Jesus' name, amen.